ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Hey, what is up everyone? In this podcast, we met up with Jewel Clark. And me and Chris headed down to Devon to record this one on Jewel's organic farm. He showed us around and let us try some of his produce while showing us around the intricate workings of what goes on in his organic farm. And the conversation that we even had off the podcast while Joe was showing us around and we walking around his farm and getting to see what actually goes on. The part, the conversation that we had while we were doing that was such a cool conversation as well. And we could have easily done a second podcast, a walking podcast while we were talking to him. Such an interesting guy. It's really interesting because when me and Chris are travelling all over the place to do some of these conversations, while we're sort of setting up the equipment and packing away the podcast equipment, there's so many times that we have so many incredible conversations and me and Chris turn around to each other and we just say, oh man, we should have had the, the, uh, the microphone set up there. Oh, two seconds, pause a second, let us get the uh, microphones on. <laughs> so many interesting conversations. But anyway, Joe is somebody who is very passionate about the future of the planet and outdoor learning. And he wants young people to really experience life skills rather than just classroom learning. And he's also really passionate about educating children into truly learning about the world that we inhabit, which is really, really interesting. And in his work, what he's really trying to get across and trying to question is how we are growing our next generation and are we just growing our next generation in a sort of conformist, compliant people who just serve the current economic system or are we empowering our next generation to feel that they can be a part of a huge change that we all know that is clearly needed in society. And please consider supporting our podcast, our message and our movement for our Patreon page and our one-off donation option. As you all know, we're living in a time now where you can change the world by focusing your attention on things that you want to support and see more of. And if you want to see more of this podcast, please just consider helping us out through our Patreon page or a one-off donation option. That is all we ask. Anyway, enjoy this conversation. I know you will love it with Joe. Peace. dive in <laughs> thank you so much for inviting us to your beautiful home as well by the way and um when i did actually first come across your some of your stuff that you were you were doing some incredible work as well in in regards to outdoor learning and things like that first the first place i would love to just sort of go is is could you just sort of describe what your sort of your main purpose is with the things that you do in, in regards to outdoor learning 
Yeah, yeah, of course. So <clears throat> we we involve children, young people, and adults who come on courses because we work with university students as well who are training to be teachers um, and studying other education courses. Mm-hmm. The main purpose of a lot of the activities that we do, which are activities that are sort of normal sort of stuff, people working in a garden or making a bench or being involved in building a building or harvesting food from the land and Mm. cooking it around the fire or baking bread. These activities are an end in themselves. It's brilliant for all of us to learn those skills and to uh, build greater resilience in terms of our ability to to survive well and live well and be healthy. But when, when a group of people are on a course and they're actually engaged in these sort of activities, it's the conversations that take place. It's the building of relationships that are actually happening there between, between the students or the adults or the children and the relationship between the, 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 the students and the natural world and their farmed world and their sense of community. You know, a lot of what we do involves people working together. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a group of actual adult educators today, some of them faculty staff from university. And we made a bench and we made the legs out of a tree that we'd felled and um, the top of the bench was uh, a piece of sort of slab wood that was waste wood, really. And when we spent time reflecting after the activity, they were really uh, quite inspired by what the process had been in terms of their, their collaborative working relationship. And I was describing to them how <clears throat> me as the facilitator, the practitioner, the person who was like giving them instructions, I purposely stepped away on quite a number of occasions and just watched and observed their process. Yeah. You know, what they're actually, how they're working together. And so, you know, our education system right the way through is so individualized. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not asking of, of, of people to be working together collaboratively mm-hmm. in, in groups, in community and, and work as a team. Yeah. So I even suggested um, to these guys yesterday, how would it be, because our education system is, is obsessed with um, assessment. How would it be if you, as a group, had a group peer assessment amongst yourselves? And that sparked a whole other interesting conversation. Oh, wow. Wow. What, what, when you proposed that question to them, what did they say? <coughs> what did the, the children say about that? Oh, these were adults. Oh, they were adults. What, what did the yesterday. adults even say? Yeah, I mean, these were, these were educators working in various different fields. And, you know, they're, they're really... Um, you know, they were very curious to explore that because, you know, our obsession with, uh, with measurement when it comes to our education systems is, is, is now, uh, I believe, and many others, and including some of them, believe very destructive because what we're, what we're measuring is probably, you know, if you, look at, if you look at a human being's potential, you know, as, as sort of, that much you know we're measuring we're measuring a tiny amount of their potential as a human being Mm -hmm. you know in their GCSEs or in their degrees or whatever 
and a lot of it's more and more going back to a sort of Victorian, yeah. you know, how many facts can I absorb? Yeah. You know, how much information? I find than- it, I find it, I love that as well. And I find as well, it's not only just, we're not <clears> only just measuring it as well. I think you've, we're forcing, like forcing that thinking into a tiny narrow little box. Yeah. Like I remember in, um, I think mm-hmm. it was in even university, this still goes on. And I remember, I think it was, there was an answer on a, on a paper in a university. And I think, I thought out the box, I can't remember what it was, but I, th- I thought out the box and wrote something else. And I got marked down for that reason, yeah. for thinking outside of the box. And I think yeah. that, that goes yeah, on a there lot. There is a limitation on, um, on creativity, especially because the value of creativity now in the environments where such as, outdoor learning sort of mm-hmm. say is practically can save your life if needs be yeah it's that yeah. creative aspect of the of the human individual <clears throat> that can like i said be the life or death of a situation yeah one of the teachers who was with us yesterday started speaking about um his daughter and the um a lot of the maths work that she was being asked to do and she was doing it on the computer and how very frightened she was having done a whole piece of work to press the submit button because there was the chance and only a small chance because she was pretty bright apparently but the chance that it might come back with a cross so this concept of right and wrong is Mm. you know it's black and white you know it's a prescriptive curriculum you can either be right you'll get this just as it should be or wrong and with outdoor learning with everything that we do with groups in the outdoors there is no right and wrong you know, with making that bench yesterday, people made a few mistakes. There were a couple of tools got broken, uh, but it was all rectifiable. And we always look upon that which, you know, those mistakes or something that may appear to others as something that's going wrong as a learning opportunity. Mm. You know, there are, so there is no such thing in, in gardening or in cooking, you know, a meal might taste a bit different if you've put too much salt, yeah. too much pepper. Well, look at they eat mess, really. When they, put, <laughs> <laughs> they bought a keto, fell on the floor, they put it back together. <clears throat> there you go, you've got an eating mess. But, you know, it, 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 our education system's become so black and white. It's, um, we, 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 I run some courses that we call experiential science, and we, we do sort of big-scale science projects out on the land, and you know, like charcoal making or building a lime kiln. Mm. Um, and... It's completely different. You know, you've embarked as a scientist, the children as scientists, as researchers themselves, where whatever, whatever happens is a potential learning opportunity. It doesn't, there is no end game, end result that they're told it must end like this. And yet if you go to a sort of key stage three school book, it will say, in this experiment, you are going to prove that this and this added to that is going to produce this. Yeah. And anything else, if it doesn't work, is, is a failure. Well, we know that life in general doesn't work like that anyway. No. If every, any, any aspect of what it is, if you, if, you, if you dissect a certain topic, I mean, you could, if, you, if you're an expert in, in trees, you could study that tree for 1,000 years and you still wouldn't know that you would, there would never be an end point of, yeah. the, of the knowledge. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Th- oh, sorry, I was go just going to say as well, I was just thinking about another point you were, um, you were emphasizing before. And I think it just got a bit overlooked. Was that um, when we're getting judged in society? Now I, I see that a lot, just in school. When you're seeing, like, obviously, like when you see children getting judged through examinations, like you said, I was also thinking as well in like um, a societal aspect how we're also getting judged in a way of like everything you watch on TV is people judging other people's opinions on talk shows or judging people on their singing voices on these 
TV on these singing shows, and the, it's like our society is now being based around judgment. Yeah. All the way through school as well as this judgment, and no one wants to step out and be a character, be an individual. They always want to just take a step back and see what's socially acceptable. So, do you think there's a social aspect what we're all missing here? Do you think people should just disregard a bit of this social um, normality and just look towards alternate ways of thinking, individualism? Well. Yeah, it's interesting because I I try and encourage uh, the schools that engage with us to bring their groups for as long as possible. Um, for teenagers, for example, 13, 14, 15-year-olds to come on a seven-day residential. And they have to hand in their mobile phones. Yeah. Oh, and there's, no, cool, there's no mobile reception here anyway. How does that um, go down? <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, on the... On the um, Second day, first, first and second day, it's like a bit of a honeymoon period and they're sort of, you know, they're exploring the, you know, the new environment and everything. It's all very new. And then on the third day, there's a sort of bit of a crash. It's like, oh, you know, I don't have this, this prop or this distraction, this thing that I can turn to when I'm feeling that there's an empty space, there's a, there's a gap that you reach in your pocket and you go, oh, just... And, and you can connect, you can connect with somebody or apparently connect with someone. Yeah. On the fourth or fifth day, what you get from the teenagers is them feeding back because we do spend a lot of time in reflection, various different processes, various different discussions. We use way of counsel, we use listening partnerships, we use all sorts of, of methods to, 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 to reflect yeah. on what we're feeling, what we're experiencing. Um, we're trying to approach what we do from very much a, a thinking and a feeling and a willing perspective, a head, heart and hands perspective. So we're not, you know, it's, it's very much taking things away from the intellectual and into the full, full yeah, embodied... The space, yeah. yeah, the full embodied experience. And what happens on the uh, fourth day often is the young people expressing relief that they don't have this mobile technology. Like a and purge, like a purge. Yeah, really. yeah, and talking very much about how refreshing it is to have really be meeting each other. People who often have been in the same class for years, but they actually feel like they're meeting each other socially afresh, and they're often meeting other members of the class who they, they were always sort of, you know, not in this particular clique. They're actually... You know, they're they're rediscovering the relationships amongst themselves, and it's really a joy to see. Wow. And so socially, it's 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 very beneficial to bring them away for these sort of peak experiences, these these intensive transformative experiences. It's key that they don't have access to screen technology in their mobile phones. Yeah. When, you, yeah. when, you, when you obviously some of the stuff that you're talking about, some of the things that you're doing when you're working with the children, it seems to me it's a very sort of like a creative. You're creating a very creative out, a creative space. I would say. Do you think that for children to to learn better, do you think it needs to be a more creative space? Need to be created. Would you sort of say that? You feel that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in 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 our conventional education now, there seems to be less and less room yeah. for creativity yeah. and less and less emphasis on the importance of creativity. I mean, there's less and less art and drama and 
and music yeah. and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. They're all subjects that are being sort of marginalised. But it's partly, you know, I have to go back to the the culture that has developed in 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 sort of our children's and teenagers' lives and and us as adults as well of of filling empty spaces with distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea that boredom's a bad thing. What's wrong with boredom? Yeah. Actually, some of the greatest creativity of comes out of yeah. boredom. Exactly. <laughs> but we always yeah. boredom's become a dirty word. But it's you know, what we're trying to do, I mean, our, our, on our residentials, we're very busy, we get a lot done, but we also are creating spaces where there's time for reflection and time just for being. Mm-hmm. You call it meditation, call it what you like. We'll introduce, for example, to begin with, maybe of a morning, a 10-minute sit spot. Yeah. I think I've seen that in the video where you had, I liked it because, yeah, in the, I think it was in the, the, uh, the, the, where was it? Well, I don't know if it was in the forest you had the, their children, but you it was somewhere anyway, basically on the landscape, and you yeah. told the children to go and find their own spot, and yeah. they basically just sat with themselves. I loved that. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. you know, you're, you're, it may be to take a question with them, you know, something, you know, you're exploring a theme, you know, with teenagers, for example, we're <clears throat> exploring, after they've been here two or three days, the theme of choice, for example, you know, because they're at that, threshold of adolescence where they're they're starting to realize that they can make choices for themselves a lot of the choices that have been made for them they maybe agree with or don't agree with some of the uh, choices that have been made for them they for them they may be a little bit angry about Mm. and you know it's about for them it's about sort of finding the ground that they stand on you know who am i what do i stand for you know so there's a and if you're exploring themes like that, it's really often helpful to just give them that space. And it's a little bit, it's interesting because it's a little bit enforced. You will do a sit spot yeah. <laughs> on the first or second day. But when they get into the rhythm and the routine and the idea of it, a lot of them, then they, they want to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. They actually, it becomes, oh, this is what we, oh, it's time for the sit spot now. And, yeah. and you get away with saying, right, today it's 20 minutes. It needs building up because yeah. often, you know, with teenagers, particularly, it's like, what? You want me to sit on my own for 15 minutes on my own with no distractions, with no mobile? You know, so it, takes a while. it takes a while to build yeah. in, but it's, a, it's really, really powerful when it happens. What, really... what sort of things are you seeing when once eventually it does click in the child's mind and they do understand the practice? What, <clears throat> what reaction are you getting from the children? As we, so with with the teenagers it's um when we sort of reflect after five six days on on the the program Mm. where they've they've worked hard they've been involved in some activity that they really can relate to that um that has meaning for them because what what we involve them in is purposeful work Mm. work that has meaning not inventing stuff for kids to do which is a lot of what we do in our schools and yeah. colleges and universities, we invent stuff and we call it learning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for them to do. Everything we do has a purpose, doesn't it? <laughs> and it's imperative that children and especially young adults who's going into the AM world, who are just trying to discover who they are, know that their life is purposeful and has a purpose and a meaning to it. And I think that's what, what you're creating. 
Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll come back to that. I'll mm-hmm. come back to that just to answer your question about, you know, the sort of things they come up with. One of the things they come up with is the realization that they do... Uh, with a program we had recently, there was quite a few of them that came to this realization that they don't do anything with their spare time. Mm-hmm. There were several of the kids saying, God, I do nothing. I, when the holidays come, I just sit at home and go on my phone or watch films or something. And they were sort of realizing that, you know, they, they, they've got all this potential and all this time and all this opportunity and this gift of life and this gift of being able to experience the wonders of, of life. It, there's a sort of waking up that happens. I call it coming home to yourself. Mm, yeah, coming home to yourself. Um, and it's this this little machine and a lot of the screen technology and a lot of the sort of stuff that goes along with being a teenager is is about dis- a distraction from yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's taking yourself away from yourself and giving them time in nature, giving them time to reflect, sit spots, meaningful activity. We do evening activities where we do sort of theatre games and trust exercises and all that sort of thing. They sort of, it's almost like they start to come alive. You know, they start to become themselves a bit more and build up their confidence for for who they are and expressing themselves in a much more, um, you almost, as a a facilitator, as an adult, you start to sort of see them. "Ah, I'm I'm starting to see who you are now. I'm starting to discover who you are. But not because it takes us time to discover who they are, but because they're actually starting to reveal themselves to us and to each other. Do you think, a question from that is, do you think that's, because I've, I've tried to contemplate this within my own self, because when I'm in, say, because you're doing this, a lot of this work in a sort of a natural environment, yeah. like in nature and things like that, do you think that that sort of, the practicality of what you're doing could actually be transferred into the Monday world? Because I, I sometimes think that it's, for me, I, I don't know if it is, but I sometimes think it's nature, it's it's actually nature, the just the, the practice of going into nature that actually could be doing that. But do you think on a practical level that could be transferred into a modern-day world where there's like towns and cities and vast amount of people? Absolutely. Yeah. Natural green spaces really help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even even in towns and cities, there are natural green spaces. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really important that we all spend as much time um, from a therapeutic level yeah. in, in natural green spaces. I know when I lived in London years ago, I mean, I used to spend, you know, loads of my time in... Um, Hampstead Heath and yeah. Regent's Park and, and walking along the canal, you know, just just to keep in connection with, with the natural world. Yeah. So, so that helps. But, you know, back to what you were saying and connected. What... I, I believe that um, we're born with all of us with an innate sort of sense of being communal beings, mm-hmm. you know, um, we have we have we're born with different muscles. Now, if you if one of those muscles, I I, I call for the sake of argument, the the in service muscle. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a muscle that that is not about you as an individual. It's about I am part of community. I am part of society. I'm a communal being. Yeah. Yeah. We, in the very early years, you actually see that muscle being exercised when children are very little. 
But once they start the school process, that muscle starts to become atrophied in the way that if you didn't allow a child to walk, then its muscles wouldn't develop in its legs and it wouldn't be able to walk. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, we're not, our, our systems of, of growing young people, our, our education system is not exercising a great deal that muscle because we're not giving the children an opportunity to engage in real meaningful work. We're not giving them an opportunity to make a contribution and because it's making a contribution, a tangible contribution to the general well-being of all mm. that helps to build that muscle and helps to build them as, as sort of citizens who feel empowered mm. to make a difference. Yeah. And that can take place, just in answer to your question, anywhere. Yeah, it's not about being in a natural space. It's about getting, um, redesigning our whole system of educating and, and growing young people. You, I know it's, this is a massive question, but it's one that we've tried to discuss and it, it is hot it's, there's, so much, it's so, there's so much complexity within it yeah. but what if you could like if there's a couple of things that you've noticed that you could, would actually redesign in like an educational system what would you what, what would you like sort of try and change <clears throat> and it is a big question that's hard to really yeah it is a, it is quite multi-layered because first of all you know what i see is a is a is a very um is an odd, odd, odd arrangement, really, where we've got these sort of institutions with great big fences around them. Yeah. Mm. And this is where we educate our young people. And often, you, know, you as a, even a parent, you know, you can't really penetrate these sort of spaces. It's run by the, by the teachers and often run by great big academy trusts now. And, mm. you know, it has its own rules. And then at a certain time of day, they're all let out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and there isn't... Any, there's very little often relationship between what's going on in there and what's going on out in the villages and towns and cities. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's that. Yeah, <laughs> there's, that's, that's the picture that um, we have at the moment. Although there is some amazing good practice where some schools, you know, particularly primary schools, you know, they're, 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 I don't know, they're getting involved and doing things in old people's homes or they're, yeah. they're, they're, doing, they're getting involved in the community. Teachers, enlightened teachers who realise that this is of real benefit, you know, giving the kids the opportunity to make a, a contribution, giving the children the opportunity to, to leave a legacy. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, first of all, you know, for me, you need to break down the... The, the, the barrier of what goes on in these institutions mm -hmm. and what what goes on in everyday in the everyday world you know yeah. how would it be if if you know children could get much more involved in in some of the sort of healthcare or production of the things that we need or whatever you know they could they're actually not, not made to work in yeah. a sense. I'm not suggesting we go back to vi Victorian times and send, yeah. <laughs> send children up the chimneys to sweep the chimneys. However, there is an argument for, for that. We've gone a long way down the road of separating education from the real stuff of life. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you, say, look at some indigenous peoples around the world where they haven't got conventional schooling, the, young, the children and young people learn the skills from their parents, yeah, from the yeah. elders. They learn the culture from the elders. 
they then slowly take it on. And we, with our um, education systems, have often gone into sort of these, or they've adopted an education system, which basically is saying, you learn all this, you do all this, you come to the cities, you learn all the, um, get all your exams, and then you can live like us. (laughs) You can live like Western people. And it doesn't work because Mm. in a lot of the, a lot of the sort of, third world countries you've got an incredible amount of part educated disillusioned people you know living in slums having left you know left their their sort of rural peasant lifestyle because it's got a you know the, the whole subsistence existence of the sort of peasant farmers around the world has got a very bad press everyone wants to move to the cities and anyway, that's another people. Tangent. People, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people are chasing this financial goal, whatever it is in the mind. They're always believing that money is their purpose, which it never is. It never is the case. It's like you said, it's meaningful work in a community where you can push forth and create change for the better. And that's what we're, we're all open to. Within that as well, though, what you're saying next, I like that. It's like sort of when you said there, you have this, you have this mentality in, in your mind that you want to go to the big city, and but within that, you you. It's not only you're not only giving a part of yourself away. You're severing your roots, yeah, roots yeah. to who you, who you are as a true human. And yeah. then within that, you lose your power because you you, you don't understand the way the the, uh, the cycles work to grow your own food. Because I'm mm. feeling I'm feeling that now. My journey, where I mean, I feel like I've been pulled into this into this westernized machine without really without really even knowing what I was doing. And then now I'm in a, in the middle of it and thinking, well, I wanna I wanna like know what edible wild edible foods i can eat i want to know how i can start living more sustainable on the land but like that the westernized sort of tree in it's it's just like chucking along so yeah, far it's thing, hard to like stop and pause the thing is with it as well though when you people believe like oh like you said where's well, is the foundation if you can change the foundation it'll change the future mm. that's the process but at the minute it's not just the schooling there's like the work and industry like i know because i'm at the minute i'm in a factory Whereas you're isolated to do a job and you're yeah. just there to do that job. You're not yeah. there to be a community based. You're not there to really help out the business itself by giving off an idea. Yeah. You're just there for a purpose and their purpose. It's about you're just a part of a machine, a, a big globalized machine, which does start in the schooling industry. Yeah. And it's, but it's also finalized through 50 years of your working life, working for a system with no value or purpose. And you are limited to that. So, and there's the people there who's still defending that. There's still the cost because they'll get little benefits like watching eight hours of TV on a night or yeah. having a little roof over the head and not really exploring like what it is to be human. I mean, when we are actually now looking at it, it's not just the schooling system that's going to have to change. It's the complete breakdown of society. Yeah, We're going to have to really be, all become a community base. I mean, a, a little story I have was... Um, we, I wanted to, um, I had a good idea at work and I said to the manager, I was like, oh, can I have five minutes? And she was like, yeah, yeah, I never got me five minutes. So I went, I'm just going to write an email to the CEO of the company. And I was like, she was like, no, you can't do that. You've got to go through me and then I'll go through my manager and she'll go to the, <laughs> the other manager and then they'll go to the CEO if your idea is good enough. I was like, nah, that's not happening. So that night I just wrote out an amazing CV, <laughs> uh, not CV, <laughs> I wrote out an amazing idea, backed it up with um, fax figures and I just sent it to the, in the um, CEO. And that's funny because the CEO sent it to all the managers <laughs> and to, even to the owner of the company. 
um, how great the idea was and he's thanking us and that for for giving us the insight and i thought that's what it's all about yeah that's exactly what it is you you can't just like have this like hierarchy system where you're afraid to be who you want to be you've got to you've got to know that he's just a person i'm just a person and if he's willing to listen and i'm willing to give him yeah. an idea yeah yeah make of what you want yeah. <laughs> it was interesting there that you called it um just just uh, a minute ago you called it the schooling industry yeah because in many ways that's how it's become more and more it's become our education system has become more of a production line and the the, the child the student is the product and if they don't achieve a certain level you know, then, then somehow that's not a very good product. The school needs mm. to produce a good product. In fact, there are financial incentives now yeah. for schools and teachers to produce a good product. Did you actually see as well that the, the altered the what, what did they do again? Can grade you hear system. this? They altered the grades because they weren't they weren't getting enough passes because obviously, like you said, it's mm. financially sort of they, 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 if it's not if they're not getting good grades, they don't get grants and things like that. They actually load the grade system. Did you see that? So more yeah. children could yeah. pass yeah. it. Change the goalposts. It's, just like, to, it's yeah. funny because when you actually see the, some of the billboards outside of the um, colleges in our area, it's a ninety-nine percent pass rate. I was thinking, well, what ninety-nine percent? You tell me, like, <laughs> we're guaranteed as long as you pass. But as long as you pass, we'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> we'll even write it out for you and then put your name on it. <laughs> But I think back to back to the more sort of, <clears throat> you know, the, the the issue of of resilience and you know how how things are going to move into the future. You know, a few years ago when I was working up the road, um, we we were, you know, I was running education programs uh, and we were growing food and we had an incredibly bad year. Oh wow! Uh, the, it was like raining the whole time, so some of the crops failed. But we were able to go and buy carrots or whatever that were imported from Italy, because we can. And we were reflecting on that. I was reflecting on that quite a lot and realizing that, yes, I can, as a privileged Western person, I can buy the products that come from Italy. But if our whole supply chain breaks down, you know, and and our system breaks down, if the societal collapse, then five days and the supermarkets are empty. We were just talking about this literally on the way down, weren't we? Yeah. The people who, and, and you know, the, the, the quite high percentage of the population of the world who live a more subsistence, you know, small holding existence, you know, in the, in the hills of the Andes or Peru or <laughs> wherever in the world, you know, yeah, people, yeah. people living a... A, 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 a tough but you know surviving and experiencing some droughts and all the rest of it but they're resilient mm-hmm. they're not reliant on on Systems. Sainsbury's being supplied with lorries coming over from all over the world they're reliant on their own they're, they're self-reliant yeah mm-hmm. who's going to survive exactly <laughs> so what are we doing my question is always what are we doing to help our children become more resilient um, and I don't believe we are yeah. I think in fact we're we're educating them and we're preparing them for becoming more dependent mm-hmm. um, True. one of the you asked a question you know one of what one of the things that could change um, in our system right now 
And as I say, there are various levels. You know, you could talk about the complete dismantling of our education system yeah. and redesign. Yeah. It's not but, that bad of an idea. <laughs> but so one of the, one, for me, one of the massive missed opportunities in our um, education system is the provision of food. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You've got these great big companies now. You know, when I was, when I was, a, when I was a kid, I went to a tiny little village primary school and a couple of the ladies from the village cooked lovely traditional sort of English meals. Yeah. And the 45 of us kids who were in the village primary school sat down to the same meal. It wasn't choice. Mm-hmm. You sat down to that meal. That's what there was. And we all ate it. Yeah. <laughs> now, I do a lot of work out in schools and I go into some of the school canteens. And I mean, it's disgusting. The wastage is disgusting, and the, the sort of disgusting. stuff that people, people are eating is disgusting. There's choice. You can go and have a wrap, and you can go and have this, and you can go and have a burger. And, you can, and it's, it's, look at the children. Look at our diabetes problem. Look at the obesity problem. You know, and they have no understanding of the food that they're eating. Yeah. So I've had groups that have come out, um, and we've... You know, maybe we spend the morning doing a whole business of composting and we we learn all about the microorganisms in the compost heap and we feel inside the compost heap that it's really hot and all these busy microorganisms are all active. And it's great. It's a good Mm. learning experience. Then the afternoon, we start to make some uh, dough and we use the yeast. And then I can talk about the microorganisms, the fungi that are the actual yeast and they're helping the flour and then you get a handful I, I've, I've done this got a handful of flour and say flour see, look at this where does that come from where does that come from I haven't got a clue yeah nobody nobody had no connection the complete disconnection wow. going into the garden they wouldn't know the difference between a carrot plant and potato plant and a cabbage whatever so the relationship between yes. you know what they're actually what we need every day to survive and where it comes from and how it's produced is becoming more and more distant and more and more tenuous. And it's, it's frightening because if things do all go completely wrong, we've got new generations of young people who just we, haven't got a clue how to, yeah. it's how to do anything. Not to cook a meal, let alone <laughs> to grow the food that you need for the meal. Yeah. I heard on the radio uh, the other day that... Um, this uh, this year, there's been ten thousand more takeaways shops being opened, so that goes to show you the, where where people are valuing the sort of like nutrition what they what they see as nutrition come from. See, they yeah. see it. As that's a, that's a good point because that's another big thing that I've noticed is like on an environmental level. Say that I don't know. Say if you start growing your own food, you're not reliant on tr- on uh, transport bringing yeah. that food to you. I mean, if we 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 drove here today, and there's trucks and there's hundreds and hundreds of trucks thousands and thousands of trucks just driving on that road mm-hmm. supplying needs to little communities and bringing all over but if a community was more self-reliant that would straight away that would cut that uh, cut that straight that line out of the way straight away and people would be more self-reliant then environmentally would be much better yeah mm-hmm. unfortunately at the minute people aren't prioritizing healthy eating well a lot of it, uh, the people who we come across are but as a UK society as a whole, as a Westernized society, the this fast food industry this this and um, is really chronically 
chronically affecting us a lot and the obesity rates have shown this the, the diabetes rates are shown this like you said with the school the schools and what children are eating it's showing their preferences when they're given choice they're not automatically selected to healthy options they're automatically selected to pizza and because their parents are actually growing up in that, that as well now there's, yeah. there's a lot younger younger mothers and fathers who see mcdonald's as convenience because that's what yeah. they've grew up with and it's scary because the educational system is not prioritizing nutrition or food. Yeah. So if we started at a very, I mean, one of the things that we absolutely prioritize is is getting the children into a greater, greater connection and relationship with the food that they eat. And often it's a real revelation for them to dig potatoes out of the ground or pull a carrot out. And you know, we 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 will always end up with kids at the end of a residential who have tried more things. They've enjoyed salads and greens and carrots and things like that they've just but they'll often start off by uh no don't like that don't like that don't like you know a block you know a block but you know if you can slowly break through that and you know we've also got a funny thing in our we've got a funny thing where we're completely paranoid that children might go hungry (laughs) do i mean somebody we sometimes get children on residentials and they just refuse to eat and you know, my attitude is okay don't, don't, don't eat. eat exactly feel it <laughs> feel it feel you know for a day or two they're not going to starve they're awesome. not you know compared to it'd probably be good for them as well <laughs> compared, <laughs> well, yeah. how many how many you know there's a there's a there's a real paranoia amongst parents and teachers that you know as if they'd as if they'd wither away and sort of die <laughs> the next day because they haven't eaten a meal for a day and to me, you know, it's, it's, let's experience that. There's a lesson let's in hunger. Let's exp- yes, absolutely. And it's really interesting because, you know, the ones who, are, you know, when you don't make a fuss, you're okay. You know, it's all there. There's some bread if you want. There's some white pasta if you want, you know, because some kids just like to eat white pasta. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's there if you want. But in the end of the day... If they refuse, then we, let's not all get worked up about it. And the less you get worked up about it, oh, yeah. the more they actually, oh. And, but within a few days, they're just eating well like the I'll, rest of I love it because actually something Dan posted on his Instagram the other day, and it, I think it's a good time to bring it up. He put, um, he asked, there was a guy on a subway, and he was asking his, um, and he's seen this kid reading on, a, on his lap, and he was reading as well. And the guy goes, um, oh, how did you get your kid to read? And he goes, I read and the kids imitate what they see yeah. so if you want to eat your vegetables you've got to like and you want your kid to eat vegetables you've got to start eating vegetables as well yeah. no point you having a, a chicken burger yeah. rather go on you eat the vegetables it's going to be good for you yeah? it's yeah. going to be like that's not going to be a, a connection yeah. there needs to be like like it's in a community aspect in the fields and stuff like that but it's also got to be a community aspect at the dinner table and a family has to understand yeah. that and that's what that's what there is a lot of disconnect because they'll have a big screen in front of them they'll be watching something not focus on the food they miss out on the on the beauty that is real food yeah in that moment and on a deeper level i think with i mean it, it comes into their relationship with food but it's very much <clears throat> i i see you know our role and i wish it if it was the first priority in our, any education system, whether it's reforming our present education system or completely redesigning the way that we, we, we grow our children, and I like that term, yeah. grow our children, yeah. as opposed to educate our children. Um, educate tends to, the word tends to 
sound a bit too close to indoctrinate. Yeah, it yeah. does. <laughs> so, so how we grow our children. Um, if we prioritised the, um, <clears throat> the bringing of our children into a healthier and more respectful and more loving relationship mm. with their natural world, mm. yeah, um, from a very early age, which actually does come naturally. You know, when you I've worked with little children, I've got grandchildren now, you, when you experience how children sort of unfurl themselves from babies and how they first experience the world and how they first touch and feel and experience the colours and the textures and everything, they are actually in love with what they find in a very natural way. They're not afraid of what they find. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're naturally, they, they naturally have a loving relationship with what they discover in this amazing, in this amazing world that yeah. we have, particularly in the natural world. Yeah, you know, if we surround them perhaps in, in in um, plastic toys or you know a lot of crap that people people sort of put in front of their kids, I don't know. But I think it's really important to give children a positive experience of the natural world. And then, as educators, if it was our priority to bring them into a healthy, respectful, loving relationship with their natural world right the way through, and that includes how their food is produced and includes you know that the concept of waste nobody has any sense of the importance yeah. or not of wasting mm -hmm. stuff it's almost normal now just to have a plate of food and pile it on and eat a little bit of it and leave the rest mm -hmm. you know the wastage in our culture is yeah. is grotesque but if that was the highest priority and everything else came out of that that there's a there's a there's a healthy and loving and caring relationship between us as human beings and the natural world that is us as well because we are nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah we forget actually, that. Yeah. <laughs> we are nature too. So us a recognition that we are we are part of Mother Nature. We are part of you know it all, and we are actually dependent on the health of. The, 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 the natural world and if that was actually something that was the highest priority in any education system we wouldn't be in the predicament that we are now yeah. because you don't destroy that which you love and yeah. what we're doing as human beings is doing just that so we're destroying our home we're destroying our mother earth we're not we know our home isn't going to exist if we carry on the same trajectory that we're on. There's yeah. just no like negatives towards it, is there? There's no negatives towards like what you were proposing there for, for like um, an individual to go out and learn their craft, learn a skill, and be a one with nature. There's no negatives. Whereas, like even a even a financial, there'll be a complete financial gain because there'll be so much less pressure on like the health industry, on the NHS. There'll be so much more like relief. On people physically, mentally, that I think that's the problem. Like on, on people physically, not co like cooper uh, corporations. Yeah, corporations will be the only one to really struggle to feel any betterment from it. And that's like, unfortunately, we're living in a government now who would defend this right that because the corporations keep feeding them with their own financial money, so they can keep their regulations, keep their rules, mm. keep the situations in place, just to keep us on a limited plane, keep feeding us the shit food. And this is, unfortunately, this is what we're gonna have to fight against being, like, you're like a pioneer in my mind. You're like someone like a, like a warrior who's who's completely a, 
taken off like one of their heads off uh, <laughs> the serpent off Medusa, <laughs> right? And you constantly take off one like like um another head grows, two heads another head grows, and that's what it feels like. It's constantly doing though, in this because we constantly feel like we're winning one battle, and then you'll see another regulation put in or another law enforced, and this is what it keeps feeling to. It feels like we're constantly going to be up against something that's going to have all these different heads. <laughs> Make of that as well, you will. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think we've reached a critical point now. I mean, all the all the evidence from the top scientists, the IPCC, and everywhere now is that you know, if 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 we don't do something pretty radical over the next ten years, then you know, we're in for a, a serious situation with yeah. our climate collapse. Um, and the way we educate young people is is absolutely vital to that. Mm-hmm. You know. If, if by some miracle we could, you know, the corporations, and that's not going to happen, but the corporations were going to start behaving well and the governments were going to start cutting greenhouse gases to the absolute you know, zero and all the rest of it, if, 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 all, if everything got turned around in a really positive way, if we don't, if we don't also change the way the edu- we educate and we grow our young people, we'll only end up in the same predicament again. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to address how we how we bring children and young people into into true connection with their natural world their farmed and gardened world themselves their sense of community mm-hmm. their sense of being able to be recognizing that so when we have groups one of the big things that i try to bring to their consciousness is a recognition of what has come before mm. you know who who Oh, you're harvesting some carrots. I'll tell you about the people who sowed those carrots. Yeah. <laughs> or we're, we're cutting a tree down. Ah, well, that was probably planted, you know, 40 years ago by somebody who had the foresight to plant a tree so that we could use it for timber and firewood. So then you sort of, you, you assess where, that's what got us to here. Now, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do to leave a legacy for those who come ahead of us? So if the kids are building a bench, say, like I did with some adults yesterday, or making a table, but it's part of the facilities here on the, on, on the, on the farm where we have hundreds of people come through, I'm able to say to the kids, this, this is going to be used by hundreds of people. Your efforts, your will, your energy is being... Is, is be- and they love that. Yeah, like, wow. People really need that. People really need to feel that they're doing something meaningful for the future. And that's not, you know, as I said before, we're not, we're not, we as adults struggle to find a sort of direction for our energy where we can make a difference, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. And so with kids, it's really difficult because they're trapped in this, this education machine. Yeah. Are you, are you, are you hopeful for the, for the future <clears throat> of what's coming? Because sometimes I keep looking around and I keep thinking that, I, I, I sometimes think that civilization is just going to get to a point where, the, the analogy I've said to you before is about, you know, like the salmon, you know, when salmon sort of flock towards like a sort of a net and all the salmon just keep going boom, boom, boom. And no one's like stops for a second and goes, oh, hold on a second. Civilization's <laughs> going to crumble. I sometimes think like that it's going to take, it's going to take, um, like there is more people like conscientious, be more conscientious of what they buy and maybe someone will cycle a bike to work. But I sometimes still think it's, it's going to take sort of <laughs> civilization to fall off that cliff to then have to reassess where they're at. 
Yeah, well, that's what I know it's horrible, but I just sometimes think it's going to have to take something. It kind like of that. feels like we're at, sorry to interrupt there. It kind of feels like we're constantly being told about these moments where we're going to fall off the cliff. Like when we were told about how one in three people are going to be affected by cancer, that's a cliff moment. Or how um, maybe you see what's the, the statistics on um, obesity about um, at, at the rate we're going um, by 2022 is going to be. 80 to 95 percent of children are going to be obese that is a that is another it's cliffhanger moment these yeah, yeah. these are cliffhanger moments and if it always feels like we're going to be over these cliffhanger moments like in all aspects of life it, it i keep i keep because what and to be brutally honest as well i keep thinking in my own head as well and I, i'll let you jump in a second but just i keep thinking in my head is that because i know my own tendencies as a human being so i would say that i would i would say that i'm quite balanced as a human being but i'm trying your balance points are always changing but I'm aware of my own tendencies and I'm still, I, I still have this battle in my own head about certain practices to live a more sustainable life that I'm doing. Mm. But like, it's like, this, we've, got, we've got something within the human race that how do we change that in everyone's minds? Like, how do we just, because mm. I find it hard within my own self to switch that switch. Yeah. And it's, just, how do you do that on a, on a global sense? Because now, mm. like you said, we need 10 years of like, how we need to get our act together. How do we completely just shift that? It's it's so hard. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there there's going to have to be there's inevitably going to be some some serious uh, disasters around the world, oh, potential yeah. population collapse, uh, a lot of things that will you know hopefully wake wake people up. You know, I think Western Western civilization has reached a sort of uh, tipping point um, and it's quite interesting when you look at other great empires you know the, mm. the Incas and the Romans and the Greeks well, it's quite yeah, interesting yeah. when you look at the, some of the phenomena that were actually occurring towards the end of those civilizations it's not dissimilar to what's what's yeah, happening definitely. now I yeah I'm not hope is not I, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to use the term hope because hope there's a tendency for hope to be a passive thing and and i'd rather i'd rather feel you know i'm actively optimistic you know yeah (laughs) it's like like engaged and and you know not absolutely have no intention of of lying on my deathbed thinking you know why didn't i you know do more for you know the, the 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 future generations you know so it's spending a life um you know, doing what you can, but in a joyful way. I don't believe that we have to sacrifice ourselves and go around with a frown on our faces. You know, I've got to save the world. Yeah. I've got to save the world. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of like so. It's some, and you just burn out with 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 grief and with with exhaustion mm-hmm. and with disillusionment. Yeah. And you know, it's because actually, you know, living a life well and living a life joyfully, and and yet doing everything you can to bring about you know positive change yeah. in your area of of expertise or your you know the things that you're passionate about the things that you're able to do you know i think is you know that's what i that's what you know that so it's not about hope it's about remaining actively positive i love that should we leave it there do you think that's fantastic we'll leave it (laughs) great thanks brother (laughs) fist pump (laughs) cool thank you thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast And please remember to send over 
audios for the beginning of the podcast would really be cool to hear what you were up to in the world and where you were located it's crazy sometimes how many people are out there listening to this podcast and me and Chris I think we started this journey this podcast journey about three years ago I think it was now and the podcast has continued to grow and evolve and we are so blessed also to be a part of your journey too it's just so cool anyway. Anyway, and please consider supporting the podcast for our Patreon page or a one-off donation option. It really does help. So anyway, we love you all and we'll catch you next week, people.